When my youngest was about four years old, uh, we just put up a Christmas tree. When he looked up at me and said, is it Christmas tomorrow? <laughs> no, I said, we've still got a long ways to go. And he sighed one of those deep, sad sighs that communicates so much more than just words. Well, later in the week, he wanted me to help him get a closer look at the advent calendar that we'd hung up on the wall. And lifting him up, I noticed that all of the little pockets under the numbers for each day weren't empty, like they were supposed to be. And judging from the grin on Samuel's face, I could tell that somehow he'd gotten up on a chair and managed to pull off all the tokens to stick them down in each pocket before their time. He was in a hurry for Christmas. And so we had to have another discussion about having to wait. Well, today we began the season that many call Advent. It's a time when, young or old, we start to anticipate the arrival of Christmas. I wonder how our little ones would respond if we had to tell them that we just weren't sure when or if Christmas was going to come this year. That it might be 25 more days, or it could be even 25 more years. Talk about a great wait. They don't make Advent calendars that long, and if they did it would certainly fail to satisfy any little child's patience. Even big folks don't like to wait for Christmas or most anything else in life for that matter. Someone has said that Americans are horn-honking, micro-waving, FedEx-mailing, fast-food-eating, express-lane-shopping kinds of folks. For us, waiting is seldom a forte. I once stopped at a traffic light out on the main road that goes through my township, I glanced in my rearview mirror, and I noticed this older couple in a car directly behind me. And the image of gentle grandparents ran through my mind. But while I was glancing back for another look at that sweet couple, the light ahead of me changed from red to green. I hadn't noticed it, but in a millisecond, Grandpa in that car behind me did, and he instantly let me know by laying loudly on his horn in a way that made a whole line of cars around me quickly take notice. I guess even a sweet old grandpa doesn't like to wait. We're impatient at every age, and, and that's why this morning's story impresses me so much. It's, it's about two people who waited patiently for a whole lifetime. An Advent season that must have seemed never-ending until Christmas finally came. The woman's name was Anna, and she'd been widowed after only seven years of marriage, and the record says that she now was 84 years old, and it puts it pretty bluntly. It says she was very old. Her face, her face was etched by the deep creases that are caused by both hardship and age. When my daughter was very young, about four or five at the time, we were at a basketball game sitting behind a family of one of our church members, which included their aging grandfather. Now, Anna took this interest in this life-weathered man and uh, climbed right into his arms. And soon she was using her little fingers to trace the deep creases in his face. And then, as only an innocent child could do, she asked, Are you old? <laughs> Thankfully, the man laughed and agreed. But then she awkwardly added, Are you going to die? Well, he was old, and he did have some serious health problems working on him, but but no one likes to be reminded of either age or frailty, so I quickly tried to interrupt their exchange before it got even more awkward. 
But to my relief, the old man took my daughter's comments good-naturedly, and it allowed us all to smile. Perhaps the aging Anna in our story from the Bible would have reacted the same way. Time had surely worn down her body, but there was something resilient about her spirit, as soon we'll see. There was a man in the story, too, and his name was Simeon. Uh, It doesn't come right out and say that he was old, too, but most assume he was, because as the story unfolds, he talks about now being ready to die, seeming to imply that he'd been long at that waiting business as well. We know a little about Simeon, save that he was a devout man of faith, much like Anna, and that both of them were righteous souls. Simeon and Anna were, you might say, waiters par excellence, people who held on throughout all their long lives to a great promise of hope, though for them the wait for Christmas must have at times seemed never-ending. Luke tells their story found in chapter 2. It was the time for the purification offerings required by the law of Moses after the birth of the child, the record says. So his parents took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He's the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. And she was very old, the record says. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Well, this old man, an old woman, had hope awakened by the sound of that baby's cry as it echoed over the familiar stones of the Temple Mount. They'd both been waiting all of their lives for this singular, joy-filled moment. Jesus was actually a little over a month old when his parents took him to the temple in Jerusalem for his dedication ceremony, but the news of Christmas coming was still yet to reach many who were still waiting Jesus had been born in obscurity, and the angels had announced his coming to the shepherds, and they told the few that would have known that they would have known and met along the way. But many had surely given up in the wait altogether. 
Truth is, it wasn't the best of times. Rome ruled Palestine with a, with a hard hand as puppets of the empire sat on the local thrones. The kingdom of God hardly seemed like it was setting itself up against the kingdoms of this world. There had been a promise of a savior, but it had been so long since it had been given that many concluded that Christmas would never come. And even the voices of the prophets who had predicted a Savior's coming had, had long been silent. In fact, for 400 years, there had been no apparent word from God, no added message of encouragement. It's hard to hope when generation after generation die without a promise ever being realized. Lewis Smead says that waiting is the hardest work of hope. Or John Ortberg puts it, we wait for a not yet that feels like a, a not ever. Now, Mary and Joseph may have been startled at this old man's request to take their newborn baby in their arms, but then everything that had happened to them of late had been startling. So when Simeon asked, can I hold him? Mary gave no protest, but just offered up Jesus gently into those time-aged arms. And when Anna came to see him too, there was this gleam of worship that radiated from her eyes around the baby. So how did Simeon and Anna hold on to hope for so long? How, how did they manage the hard work of waiting when many others concluded that hope would never come? Well, there's surely lots of reasons, but a couple beg to be noticed in this story and are worth consideration as we think about our own need to sit in the waiting room. The first that I noticed is that both of their lives were given to living in God's presence. It says that Anna never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She was a fixture at church every day. Every time folks came to worship, she was already there. There was a deep intensity about her relationship with God that was evident for all to see. All those years as a widow must have been terribly hard for her. There, there's no mention of other family, no one who seems to have come to her rescue, as was both the law and the custom of the day. She was surely poor, probably having to live on the benevolence of passers-by. Hardships often have a way of either driving us away from God or closer to him. They make us bitter or have the potential to make us better. Anna refused to let go of God, even over the long, difficult passing of trouble and time. She somehow stayed connected to him. Somebody has said that what God does in us while we wait is, in fact, as important as what we wait for. It was about three years after I got married that children were planned, and in year four, our firstborn son came into our lives. We assumed we'd have a second child, and it would be easy to accomplish as the first, though we didn't try for another one right away. But when we did think that the time was right, we were met by a growing frustration. Another baby did not come. And after a generous amount of time passed, we sought to find out what was wrong. And there were a whole host of tests and procedures that followed. And to be quite honest, it became an uneasy time in life for us. Anyone who's ever struggled with infertility would understand. <clears throat> there can be guilt and blame and frustration, questioning, even a little anger and depression mixed together. You pray a lot. You hope a lot. 
But when nothing happens, well, it, it's not good. I remember quite vividly the day when the infertility specialist set us down to say, I think you just need to give up and try some other way. He didn't think it was ever going to happen in a natural way, and he said so gently. But as I recall it, it was pretty bluntly. I suppose it was a reality check that was needed, but it is hard when hope is asked to die. There may have been times when Anna, the aging out prophet in the Christmas story, must have been tempted to give up on God, to give up on hope, to abandon her vigil in God's house, to make to make a home for herself, perhaps somewhere else, far away from God's presence, but she didn't. What was it, you might ask, that kept her hope alive? Was it her fierce determination or just consistent devotion? Perhaps in part, but I'm not sure that hope can ever be held onto by sheer strength or force of human will. Hanging on to hope is a God thing. He keeps hope alive in us as we keep ourselves in his presence. Anna worshiped God through prayer and fasting every day, and I think that's what kept her hope alive, her intimate daily connection with the giver of hope. Simeon had a similar life of devotion to God. Verse 25 says he was a righteous man. In fact, it describes his spiritual walk with God as being so close that the Holy Spirit had become a dominant influence within his life. Upon him, uh, revealing things to him, leading him, verses 25 and 26. And it was because of that influence that he was actually there in the temple that day. He'd been prompted that his weight was about to be rewarded. There's an interesting way in which Jesus once described the Holy Spirit to his disciples. He, he called that person of the Trinity the encourager, the friend who comes alongside us. People of faith aren't alone when they wait, no matter how long the wait may be. All of us have moments when it's hard to hang on to hope, when time and trouble or, or, or whatever weigh our hearts down low and we need somebody to come alongside us to put an arm around a shoulder and say, don't give up. Don't give up. And for Simeon and for us, it was, it was the Spirit of God that kept telling him, it's going to happen, Simeon. Hope will be rewarded even before you die. It'll be worth the waiting. It's when we abandon God that hope has its greatest risk of dying. If, if there's something in your life unrealized, some hope still left unmet, be careful not to let it drive you away from the source of your hope. I know it's easier to say that than to do, but it's in the presence of God that hope stays alive. But it's not just about these two keeping the faith that impresses me. I think they held on to hope for an even greater reason than just staying close to God. They, they trusted God who had made the promise, which included this, trusting in God's timing. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 opens with these words. It says, to have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. Some would say that this kind of faith is, is just being naive. It's, it's believing what nobody in their right mind would believe. But there's a certainty and confidence in faith that comes because of the one who's making the promises. That's not easily diminished by the passage of time. Ancient Abraham and Sarah, 
had been promised that they'd have a child through whom God would bring a people and that through that people, God would bless all the world. But despite God's promise, the clock had long, long been ticking. And only after Abraham reached 100 years of age and Sarah, a not too distant 90, did they finally have a son whom they named Isaac, which meant he laughs or laughter. Verse 11 of Hebrews says, It was faith that made Abraham able to become a father. Even though he was too old and Sarah herself could not have children, he trusted God to keep his promise. Though Abraham was practically dead, from this one man came as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, as many as the numberless grains of sand on the seashore. It wasn't about the passage of time, but about the one who had promised. Now be honest, there are some folks who make me promises, but in whom I have little confidence. They don't have any track record of coming through. They promise, but they don't deliver. And so hope is little more than wishful thinking when I think of someone like that who makes me a promise. But that's not the case with God. Hebrews 10.23 puts it this way. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. God always keeps his word. If hope is slow in coming, it's not a question of God's ability. It's merely the issue of his timing. Our problem with hope is often about just letting God be God, about letting him run the clock. If I were in charge of the world, there are lots of things that would happen differently, but, but certainly not better. My perspective on life would prevail, but it would not reflect God's divine wisdom and purpose. I confess, I don't know fully why God chose to wait as long as he did to send Christ into the world. I don't know why Anna and Simeon had to wait until they were almost ready to die before they got to see Jesus. But I do know this, that the one who promised wasn't having trouble coming through on his word. He was just waiting for the moment when it was all meant to be. I love the way Paul puts it in Galatians 4.4 where he writes, when the right time finally came, God sent his own son. You see, it's not about my schedule or my clock, but his. I like what Chuck Swindoll has said. He says, God's not in your appointment book. You're in his. When, when the Holy Spirit finally nudged Simeon with the, the leading on that day, when Joseph and Mary were bringing the baby, he was saying, Simeon, you need to go to the temple today. It's in the book. It was God's way of saying, okay, Simeon, now is the time. And I love how this old man of faith puts it when he finally takes Jesus up in his arms there at the temple steps and says, Sovereign Lord, now let you let your servant die in peace. I have seen your salvation. Those first words are the clear acknowledgement, God, sovereign, you're in charge. You're on the throne. You're at work keeping your promises in this world. Simeon sang a song that he'd been rehearsing for years, a song of certainty in the faithfulness of God. When you know the one who has promised, you can rest and even wait in quiet confidence. You can, you can even die in that way. We want God's promises, but not always along with his timing. What he longs for, though, is our 
complete trust. What was remarkable about Anna and Simeon was that despite the passing and the harshness of time, they hadn't given up on God. They had, they had believed and they had waited. I led a choir in one of my most favorite musicals, Christmas musicals, a few decades ago. It was written by Walt Herra. And both the stirring music and the words still echo in my heart. The musical is called The Dawn of Promise. And a central theme song included some of these words. A promise is a promise, especially from the Lord. We know he can be trusted to keep his written word. But when the promise lingers and days turn into years, the hope we have within us can slowly disappear. It continues, a day is like 1,000 in God's own view of time. The waiting and the longing are a part of God's design. For when we wait with patience, the hope within us grows. And as we trust his timing, the fear and doubting goes. And then, at last, the promise becomes reality. The pain is gone. The waiting results in victory. God is a God of promise. His promises are true. His words can all be trusted. What God has said, he'll do. What God has said, he'll do. What God has said, he'll do. That personal story I, I told you about having a child and then not being able to have one later, well, a beautiful adopted baby eventually came to my life by way of Mexico a few years later, the middle daughter that I mentioned just a little earlier. And though I wasn't a hundred like Abraham, I was nearing my 40s when a little red-headed baby was finally, naturally, and surprisingly conceived and came into my life. He's the one I described at the beginning as getting up in the chair to rush the Advent calendar, calendar along toward Christmas. And that you can see right here from a picture he just sent me on Thanksgiving Day. He's almost 30, but he's still eager for Christmas to come. We named this boy Samuel, which means God heard. The, the timing seemed off and actually quite impossible, but God had heard our prayers and at long last chose to answer them. God works in mysterious ways and at his own wise pace, and perhaps it's all to help us trust and grow stronger and our faith to go deeper. Mary, Jesus' mother, had already been tested with God's timing, conceiving a child through the Holy Spirit before she was married to Joseph, a baby first and marriage later. And there would come painful questions later, and there were especially would be something that Simeon said to Mary that she would remember as he was holding the baby. In the middle of all the celebration, there was this word of warning, something about a, a sword that would pierce Mary's soul. You see, this need to hold on to hope wouldn't end on the steps of the temple with Anna and Simeon's example. There would be a day when Mary would look up into the face of her dying son and have to wonder herself about the promise of God, feeling like a dagger had been thrust into her heart. A time when she, too, would have to patiently wait. Three days. Not a long lifetime as it was for Simeon and Anna, but I'm sure it felt every bit as long for Mary, and I wonder what Mary thought as the post-crucifixion clock continued to click away time. I imagine there were moments when Mary wondered what God was up to, why it appeared that death was winning and that her son, God's son, was lying dead in a cold tomb. But hope doesn't let go. 
even when the sun ceases to shine. And you wonder if there'll be another day. And I, and I think we have to continue to hang on to hope in the same way that Simeon and Anna did, living in God's presence and trusting in God's timing. Someone has said, when life hurts and dreams fade, nothing helps like hope. I love this beautiful story about Anna and Simeon and the baby Jesus. It's a good way for us to prepare our hearts for Christmas, to practice the presence, to trust in God's timing in the waiting room. And if there's a lesson to be learned from my once little boy, don't impatiently try to stuff the Advent calendar ahead of its time, but let God run the season, even if it means as did for those two old souls on the temple steps that we have to wait. Let's pray. God, we are impatient souls, and uh, you know that because you've lived and worked with us for so long. As we enter this time of anticipation for Christmas, help us to be drawn into your presence. Help us to trust in the pace of your time. Through Christ we pray. Amen.